Before we get into today's chat, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. As always, we pay our respects to their elders past and present. When I'm really struggling, like when I'm feeling like, oh my God, like somebody take me out of here. And he comes and says to me in the midst of that, I just want to thank you for everything you do and all this load you carry and blah, blah, blah. Like I actually get mad about that. I'm like, when you see me like that, come in here and stand under here with me and hold that world up. Don't just stand over there and tell me how wonderful it is and how strong I am. (laughs) Welcome to Talking In Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, relationships, well-being, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. Hosted by myself, Kate Gadinsky, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. Now, before we get into today's episode, we want to highlight Swiss Ultivite Vegan Multivitamins, which are scientifically tailored for men and women to support a healthy, active vegan lifestyle from Australia's number one and most comprehensive multivitamin brand. Remember to always read the label and follow the directions for use. Welcome back. Good morning, my love. Tell us all how you're feeling. I feel like shit. If anyone's, you know, anyone who's listening to us, I'm super, super croaky. I'm incredibly blocked up, full of some nasty... I'm going to say sinus infection. Oh, just okay. some other bug. Maybe not a sinus infection. Maybe a head cold. Look, now I'm diagnosing myself. I'm not even a doctor. <laughs> Jacked up on Sudafed. <laughs> Nose drops and everything I can, so we can record today. Oh, good on you, girl. Wood Kate was just saying, oh, I've just dosed myself up with Sudafed. I'm feeling a bit jittery, <laughs> and I'm having coffee. Oh God, you are going to fall off your chair. And we're recording this remotely today, so if you fall off your chair, I can't save you. Well, I mean, we probably could have recorded together because, you know, let's be honest, you've probably got these germs in your body right now anyway. Yeah, well, that's probably what we've got in common today, sadly, but truly, I've just had COVID. I actually feel fine, but just the isolating is the really frustrating thing with COVID. I was texting with a friend last night who was saying that her kids have got the rhinovirus, which is what... Oh, someone else was telling me they had that the other day. Tell me about that, actually. Well, it's a really common cold virus, and it's what we had just the second week after Ren was born, and we were worried that he had the flu or COVID, and he was only a week old or two weeks old, so we took him to the doctor and got him tested. He had two types of virus, and one was the rhinovirus, and honestly, I felt like that we all ended up with it, and I feel like that was nastier than COVID. Probably, yeah, because I think a lot of people who are getting COVID are getting it really mildly. There are, of course, there's people that are getting it and they're getting really, really sick and people ending up in hospital. But for most of the people that I know who have had it, it's pretty mild. Yeah. Even when we had it. I mean, I actually found it worse after we had it. I got sicker in the weeks following. Sorry, babe, I hope that doesn't happen to you. (laughs) But in saying that, there's always bugs going around, so maybe we just caught another bug. But here I am again with another bug. Mm, Well, we need to um, practice some of those tips that we got from Rebecca Edwards in the previous episode. Get out in the sun, get some vitamin D on your skin. Done that. Eat those plants. Get into it, girl. I'm going to. I've also got one of my kids sick at home as well. So her and I are hopefully going to enjoy some time in the sunshine this afternoon. What else have we got in common? I know, it's so boring. I'm so bored of myself. (laughs) Well, the other thing that we were talking about the other day is that we were saying that we really need to start getting out and walking together. Oh, yes, getting fit, that. I just have that itch. I feel like it's this time of year, towards the end of winter, it's about to go into spring. I feel like everyone gets that itch when it gets to spring, like, all right, need to get fit, need to get healthy, need to come out of the slumber of the winter. So let's do that. We've put it on the recording here now, so we have to hold ourselves accountable to that. Yeah, we're doing it in, committed on here. Yeah. So we've got a good episode, I think. Well, you know, a really important episode to talk to you all about today. We're speaking with a guest later in the episode, but Kate was saying that we should talk a bit about my pregnancy experience when we recorded my birth story episode, and it was just too much to fit into one episode. 
I mean, we really wanted to focus on your birth, but I feel like you've got so much more that we can kind of discuss and delve into in regards to your pregnancy and now, I mean, postnatal as well, but particularly your pregnancy, which I think a lot of our listeners would find really interesting and really beneficial as well. We're talking about pre and postnatal depression. Mm. So we will discuss that today in a little bit more detail. Well, that's what I experienced in my pregnancy this time was this antenatal, prenatal depression. And it was a really new experience for me. I've suffered from quite a bit of anxiety and different forms of anxiety in my life. But I can say now, now that I've experienced a form of depression, that I had not experienced depression prior to that. So it was really, it was really tough. It was a really strange thing to navigate. And I know so many people experience similar things to this. Yeah. And go undiagnosed as well. I think a lot of people just wouldn't even think that they might have perinatal depression. Yeah. They're pregnant and we all talk about all your hormones changing, which that happens and your moods are so up and down. But for a lot of people, it's so much more than that. You know, you can actually get depressed and you just kind of brush it off and go, oh, it's okay, it'll it'll be better once the baby comes. And and that can be really dangerous, I think, because it can lead into an even deeper depression. It was interesting for me because I don't think I would have known or understood or accepted that I was depressed had I not been seeing a psychologist as the pregnancy went on because the depression actually progressed and got worse as my pregnancy went on. Had you linked the two together? Like had you thought? I think like halfway through my pregnancy when I was getting significantly more, you know, flat and not coping with my emotions and having these really quite intense depressive states and days, I really started to question and look for a diagnosis or an answer because I I didn't understand what was going on. I was like, why am I getting worse? Why am I feeling this bad like feel a bit out of control almost is that how you felt oh totally out of control triggered by the smallest things you know my partner was obviously very aware of my moods and my emotions so he had mentioned a couple of times like that he thinks it's related to the pregnancy obviously he knows me very well outside of being pregnant so I think to him it was probably quite clear but as a male speaking to your pregnant partner, yeah, it doesn't go down very, very well. Yeah, you've got to be very careful with your words because, you know, you're so hormonal and emotional when you're pregnant. The last thing you want is like your loved one or someone close to you telling you something that you don't want to know or you don't want to hear. But he was really careful and gentle about it. And I kept agreeing with him. I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. Like it, it might be related to the pregnancy. I was like, fingers crossed it's pregnancy related because otherwise I don't understand where this has come from or what's going on. Well, like one in six women I think experience depression in Australia. So that's a huge, like that's a lot of people. The statistics with mental illness in Australia are outrageous. Like women in particular because a lot of our audience are women and mothers, but I was even just Googling before, one in every five Australians or over 4 million people suffer from mental illness in a given year. And that statistic is increasing significantly. And the most common mental illnesses being depression and anxiety. Australia is up there being with like one of the most depressed countries in the world. Yeah, which is so sad. We're meant to be the happy country, the lucky country, the sunny country, yep. you know, so like... Mental illness does not discriminate. No, that's right. And what is going on in the world for so many people to be suffering from these illnesses? But the one thing that I know really helps me is when I talk about it, is when I open up to my friends, my family, and I'm honest and vulnerable and open to other people's experiences. Man, it makes you feel so much better just to not feel alone. Sometimes you just need to really open up, really share your thoughts and be honest with how you're feeling because no one you're going to be honest with, like not no one in your family or your friends is going to, you know, react in a way that's going to upset you or hurt you. They're going to want to be there to support you. Mm. And if they're not, then they shouldn't be in your life, right? Mm, you know, totally. we need to support our friends, support our family, particularly when it comes to someone's well-being and mental health. It's really scary mm. and you can end up in a really dark place very, very quickly. The other thing which can make it tricky though is often you do just want to kind of internalise. I did that a lot during my pregnancy and I think that's why I'm only, you know, more prepared to talk about it now because I feel I've come through it somewhat. I mean, I'm, I'm only a few months in after giving birth. Yeah, how are you feeling now after having Ren? Interestingly, I feel 
like so far so good. It was really hard to tell in the first month, you know, or six weeks because you're so hormonal and emotional and such a roller coaster anyway. So it's really, it was really hard to say. But I kept in touch with the psychologist and even spoke to a psychiatrist at the time as well. And, you know, they were just very supportive. And um, I think that's a good way to go about it. And, you know, for me moving forward as well, because postnatal depression, obviously, you're slightly more inclined to experience if you have had prenatal depression. And postnatal depression is most common in the first year after giving birth. But I read something recently that at the moment in Australia, it's really common at around four years, about yeah. once, once your kids are around four years of age. There's some, been some studies around that. And often maybe because you're so consumed with like babies and toddlers in those first four years that mm. you probably are depressed. You know, a lot of people probably are depressed, but they've just got to almost internalise everything, which is, you know, as much as we both just said we do that, which is not the best thing to do. Mm. And then by the time you get to that four-year mark, everything's just building up so much inside that it just all kind of comes out. You know, after four years, you're, you've been pushing through, you're very tired, you've dealt with all of these different things, these new experiences, this huge transition in your life, you know, your identity shifts, all of these things that we're going to speak with our guest later in the episode. But all of these things that you've been adjusting to, they sort of start to compound. And the pressure that you put on yourself as well in those first few years. Exactly, yeah. You know, you got to do the best and be the best. And, yeah, that we do that um, naturally as women, I think. Unrealistic expectations. You know, if anyone that's listening is pregnant and this has triggered something for you, like definitely investigate a little bit, explore it, speak to someone. My journey with it was that early on in the pregnancy, I did the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, the EPDS questionnaire. It's like a really common practice in our healthcare system to do this questionnaire where it basically just asks you like, you know, in this scenario on a scale of one to 10, how happy or sad are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can be confronting, can't it, when you have to very, think about that? Very, like, very. I'm happy, aren't I happy? Oh, I'm a bit sad today, but am I happy? No, generally I'm, oh, am I? Like that's hard when you get asked those questions. Yeah, actually after I gave birth, the maternal health nurse pulled it up to do it and then I explained to her I've actually sort of been diagnosed with this antenatal depression and I've been seeing a psychologist and she was like, oh, we won't do that again then now because you know what's going on and you're aware with what's happening and you've got support and that's the purpose of the test is to – identify like possible symptoms of depression and anxiety in the pre and postnatal period. So I did that test with my midwife early on in my pregnancy and it was confronting and she just said to me like, look, you're scoring quite high. I would suggest that you speak to a psychologist. Would you like me to refer you? And I was like, yes, I would definitely like you to refer me because it's been something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And good on you too because it's not easy to do that. Yeah. But it was something that I had been wanting to do because I was actually experiencing a lot of anxiety before I fell pregnant, partly because I wasn't falling pregnant. So she did refer me and I did start my sessions with the psychologist. And in the beginning, I was okay. And it was like I was saying before, it was as we progressed through the pregnancy, my depression got worse. And sort of halfway through the pregnancy, I started asking the psychologist, like, what do you think is going on here? Like, because by this stage, I was starting to experience panic attacks, like, you know, really intense panic attacks mm. to the point where I felt like I couldn't breathe. Yeah, again, like I said before, I was triggered by the smallest things and I couldn't see myself what was going on. So it was so helpful and beneficial to be speaking to someone about it. But it got worse as it went on and thank God I did have the support. And maybe if you hadn't have started seeing her when you did, I mean, it could have got even worse. I said to her a couple of times, like, I wonder where I'd be at if I wasn't speaking to yeah. you. Yeah. Because obviously the process with a psychologist is you delve a lot into your history, you delve a lot into your insecurities, you delve a lot into your life. So I did say to her a couple of times, I feel like part of this process is making it worse because to dig all of that stuff up, you're like, oh, I didn't even realise that was an issue. I can't believe that came up. My experience was very similar when I started seeing a therapist. I was so surprised by things that came up that I just obviously had completely pushed to the back of my mind that I didn't even think were mm. things that were affecting me or that had affected me so badly. 
And as you said, you're like, oh, my God, I'm here to deal with this, this, what I think is this issue, but actually it's so much more complex. Yeah. Do you find it like healthy in the way that it's productive or are you intimidated by that stuff coming up? Both. Yeah, me too. I, think I would say both too. It's been a real, I've found it a real journey because sometimes I find things too confronting and I'll try and deflect. I think I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to talk about that. Oh, that's not what I'm here to talk to you about. But then later, or what I've gotten to know now is actually, no, it's all connected. Mm. Everything's connected. Yeah. Sometimes you can be really triggered by certain things that happened or certain behaviours that happened or the way you were raised. And that can be really conflicting when you're trying to raise your own children. Yeah. And make your own decisions and parent in your own way. It's such a responsibility, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? If you don't get things right in those first few years, it can be difficult. Sorry, I should just say I, I I didn't mean like if you don't get it right because, you know, there is no wrong or right in parenting. I more just meant those first few years really shape your kids and their future and, and their memories and all that type of stuff is sorry what I meant to say. Mm. There is no wrong or right. Yeah. Well, it'll be really interesting to speak to our guest today who is Yara Heary. She reached out to us over Instagram a couple of weeks ago and said that she'd love to chat to us and so we thought it would be a great opportunity because she's a psychologist or psychotherapist and also what she calls herself a motherhood coach, which we love the sound of this. The things that she mainly practices is going from surviving to thriving in motherhood. I'm so interested to hear more about that. What does it mean to thrive as a mum? Because I feel like it would mean different things to different people. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely does mean different things to different people. So the other things that she works with her clients and practices is the mum rage and anger, which a lot of people talk about, don't they? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it's real. Mm. I often find when I'm in a moment that I'm like yelling at my kids that it's not normally what they're doing that is causing me to yell. It's usually a combination of other things that have built up. Mm. And then I react in this way that, I probably wouldn't normally react if I had dealt with all this other shit that's sitting in the back of my head. And then you feel guilty and then the mum guilt's come in. Yeah. But there's healthy anger too, healthy anger and there's toxic anger. So I think it'll be good to chat to her about that and learn more about that. We asked you guys some questions about, you know, what your struggles are with motherhood and whether you had any questions for Yara and we will ask her all of those to make sure that they all get answered. But so many of them were so common, most of them around not getting enough time to yourself and having any freedom and the other one was guilt. So we'll definitely dive into that with Yara because I think we've both experienced those same thoughts and feelings as well. Absolutely. But I think for me personally, the biggest thing, like since having my first baby and still now almost three years on with two kids now, the biggest struggle for me has just been like finding myself in the whole identity thing. Yeah. You know, you and I were chatting about this the other day too. Like even after your first baby, you go through this major transition in your life and it's so life-changing. So you sort of start to learn to accept that and then something else changes. You maybe send your baby to childcare and you have to go back to work. So that's another transition that you have to accept and move into as this new person and this new mother. Yeah. And you keep evolving and then maybe you get pregnant, you throw another kid into the mix and then it's another sort of transition to accept and move into. And I don't think we spoke about this in your birth episode, but that feeling when you're pregnant with your second baby and you're like, am I going to love this baby as much as I love my first? How does that work? How does that fit in? And people keep doing it. And as soon as the baby comes, it feels right. But it's like a bit of a, it's so conflicting when you're actually pregnant. I remember just thinking with Nina, oh, my God, like it's not just going to be you and I like every day together anymore. There's going to be a new baby. Yeah. It's such a good point. I actually really struggled with that in the first few weeks. I was so desperate for Honey's love and affection when I first brought the new baby home, like because I felt bad for her and exactly those feelings like it's never going to just be you and me anymore. A sibling is such a great gift but yeah as the mother and I'm sure a lot of dads feel the same way I sort of had to grieve that a little bit like you know grieve that time that stage that phase in our life so it is a huge 
strange transition. So that's a whole other stage, right? Yeah. So shall we move on to our chat with Yara? I think we should. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. She's a mother herself. She's a therapist, speaker and coach. So we can't wait to hear everything that she's got to educate us on. Yara Heary, let's hear from her. Yara, a big warm welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So to get started, can you tell us a little bit about your line of work, what you specialise in, and I guess why you took the path of supporting women and mothers in particular? So I have a business called Life After Birth Psychology, which is a big hint at what I do. So I provide therapy for mothers specifically. And it wasn't always like that. I used to practice more generally, but then I became a mother in 2016. And (laughs) I think I was not only naively enough to think, you know, I've got this, I know myself, I know what I'm getting into, but also being a psychologist, I think I was like, I've done the work, you know, I can manage whatever is coming. And even with those insights that I might have from my professional practice, I just completely found my world turned upside down. And the probably the hardest thing for me initially was keeping the relationship intact and healthy between my husband and I. Yeah. And then once that kind of subsided a bit, it was just getting into this new sense of who I am. So this new identity, managing the frustration that I had around what I wanted to do in my life before I'd had a baby and then how that changed over time as well of actually having the baby. So that I found really challenging and learning who I was, not from the beginning, I guess a lot of what was there stayed there, but I was now becoming a different person as well. But that really started this searching that I was doing about like, why is this hard in the way that it is? And why am I struggling? And is anybody else out there struggling? And through all of that is where I went, you know, this is actually what I'm really passionate about in terms of dealing with my own stuff, it was all the talking I was doing with other women who were going through similar things. And it was just such a enriching experience, both for me and the other women that I was in relationship with. And I just thought, this is the space that I want to be in, actually, like, this is what I'm really passionate about in my life right now. And I think it also overlaps just more generally with women's health as well. So a lot of the issues that mothers face in this time of their life is actually an extension of things that are going on for us as women anyway. So now that's the space that I work in. I work with mums. So that might be through pregnancy or in the time after. And when I say that, I really mean along that lifespan of being a mother. Mm. Mm. It's interesting. We were literally just talking about that, how many Mm. different phases there are in motherhood, like going from not being a mum to becoming a mother is obviously a huge transitional phase. But then there's so many other phases along the way that you've got to keep adapting and changing and evolving but so many of the things as well that you just said that you experienced I've also experienced so Mm. I think there's so many commonalities between women and also there's a space for the support these days and can feel so isolated yeah but what would you say are the most common things that women are struggling with motherhood I think the biggest thing, the absolute biggest thing is just a lack of, I want to say support, but I want to be clear about what I mean about that because support can be vague in the way that we talk about that. There's a real lack of hands-on support. You know, we talk a lot about the idea of the village or just the community in general, like in terms of having people around that you know that you can rely on. Mm Mm-hmm. The way that I see it, that is kind of where all of the problems come from. So the fact that there are so many women out there doing it alone is why there are the rates of postnatal depression and anxiety and just general dissatisfaction in the motherhood space. It's the Mm. lack of support and the lack of support comes from within intimate relationships. So that's their partners that just don't get it or that are bound within the place that they occupy in our culture and in society Mm. and so they don't integrate well into that family space or they you know they don't provide the support that is really needed there in that way and I also think it's just the way that we live which is very I don't know if individualized is the right word but it's like we all live living in our own little pods separate from each other and I think that some of us are very fortunate to have close friendships or family And that's really beautiful. But I would say that many of us actually don't have that. I think also that one of the issues that connects to that is also that the way that we are raised 
which is to be really independent and yeah. to be really self-sufficient and to believe that if we ask for help that it means that we're failing or that we're not enough, that also perpetuates it. So it's not simply because people are not there, but it's also that we don't access the support that is there. So one of the things that I really notice with many of the mothers that I work with is trying to shift those belief systems and patterns that they've held on to so long, which is that if I am successful in life, it means I can do everything on my own. And that's part of a bigger issue in terms of our culture and the way that we're raised, being really independent. That's really hard. And that's probably one of the biggest things that I have struggled with. So actually, when I get really overwhelmed now, it takes me a little while to go, I'm doing too much. Like I'm actually doing too much and I need to call in support. So that's kind of where I think a lot of the, the issues come from. But more specifically, things that are happening for mothers in this space is identity. You know, I talk a lot about anger as well. And the amount of people that contact me and want to work around anger is a really big thing. And what I will say about that is I don't see the anger itself as a problem. It's more the belief systems around the anger and the lack of being able to express anger is actually the issue. But it Mm. means that people hold that and then it comes out in kind of explosive ways and ways that aren't helpful within their families. Hmm. relationship stuff is really big. So in terms of changes in the intimate relationship with their partners, and when I say intimate, I don't mean necessarily sexually, I just mean those partners that are close to them. Hmm. And then the other really massive big one that I do a lot of work in is just on family of origin stuff. So, you know, all the stuff that comes up when we enter this space that has to do with how we were parented. So we're for now we're talking, talking about a little that bit about well. that before that, yeah. you know, you're raised in a certain way and you're raised to believe certain things and you look at how your parents do it and then you become a parent mm. and you might have a completely different outlook on how you want to raise your kids or what you think is right. And that can be really, really tricky, I think. Really tricky. And I think also, you know, it's no wonder then that at this point in our lives when we become mothers is when some people for the first time in their lives experience you know mental health difficulties and challenges because you've got all this stuff you know happening all at the same time and I think you know before we become mothers we have a way of navigating all of these things and we can have all sorts of avoidance sort of strategies that mean we don't have to look at that stuff from the past you know like we we can move through that we can move more easily through the standards or the norms that exist for women yep. that are actually quite limiting, but we can we can navigate that better when we don't have children. But then when we have children, there are so many things that just end up like right up here close to yeah. our face. Mm. And it's a lot at a time within that first year, especially where people are trying to find their feet, you know, how do we do this job of mothering? And then we have all that other stuff going on as well. It's a really intense time. Yeah, I actually was just reminding my partner of that the other day, sometimes I feel like he leaves me to do things because he feels that I am quite capable with looking after our two young kids. And I am capable, but it's really freaking hard work and it's very emotional sometimes. And I'm just learning on the job as well, just like he is. And I had to say that to him and he was like, I'm so glad that you said that because I do just look at you and think you are really capable and you're doing a good job. Hence why I do just walk away sometimes because I feel like you've got this. But in mm. my mind, I'm thinking like, I'm really trying, like I'm trying so hard here. I'm really struggling and you're, I feel like you're just sort of leaving me, you know, walking away and leaving me to do it. So the communication around small incidences like that, you know, small things that happen daily, the communication around that I think is so important to express it. I think that what you were just talking about there is something I've been saying a lot in my therapy and just in general to people, which is like this idea of a beginner mindset when we enter motherhood, like so many of us get to this phase in our lives and we feel pretty confident about who we are or where where our life is going, you know, and we, we know who we are, we know what we want, we know what we don't want and then we become mothers and so much of that has to be paused or slowed down. And that can be a really frustrating thing. And one of the things I like to say to mums is if you take on a beginner mindset, it means that the places where you make mistakes or where you're not sure or where you feel wobbly, there's more compassion allowed in that space because you're a beginner. So it's like when you look at your babies and they're learning something new and you look at them and you're so compassionate with them because 
they're beginning, you know, yeah. that they're learning for the first time. And so I love this idea of a beginner mindset for us as mothers and fathers so that we can be more compassionate to ourselves. Like we are doing this for the first time, just like our babies and our children are. We're baby mums, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, so however old your baby is, that's how old you are in this space. This idea of how much capability we have to hold load whatever our highest sort of capacity is for performance in any particular job nobody can perform at that level for long periods of time an athlete trains the way that their training looks over a season right in preparation for an event it's not the same intensity along the whole way because they burn out right and so the same for us in life but also in this mothering space we cannot be performing at that same level of intensity for long periods of time because we burn out, right? Yeah, that's why mums always feel burnt out. (laughs) And so when my husband says to me, when I'm really struggling, like when I'm feeling like, oh, my God, like somebody take me out of here, and he comes and says to me in the midst of that, like, I just want to thank you for everything you do and all this load you carry and blah, blah, blah. Like I actually get mad about that. I'm like, I don't want to be the strong woman. When you see me like that, come in here and stand under here with me and hold that world up. Don't just stand over there and tell me how wonderful it is and how strong I am. Remember that when you were talking about your husband, which is like, mm. be in here with me, get in the yeah. ring. It's so true. There's so much to be said about this village that it takes to raise children. And I just feel so much more now that in the most socially connected world Mm. that we live in now, we're all the most disconnected. And and I think like, you know, that kind of conversation around finding your village to support you and being around people that support you. I think a lot of women, a lot of mothers think, where do I find it? I don't have family that live nearby or I don't Mm -hmm. have friends that I can talk to. It's like, where do I find that and how do I get that Yeah, Or they feel the pressure to just do it all themselves because I think Mm. that's the right thing and that's what society has led us to believe for so Mm. long, that you're a mum, you're meant to do it, you're meant to be able to look after your kids. Some people have one child, some people have six, more or less, like you're meant to just do it. Yeah. That's hard. It's so, so hard. And then you compare yourself to other people as well. Mm. You know, you think, oh, why do they, you know, why does this person find it so much easier than me? Yeah, or, absolutely. And, and then you, that whole mum guilt comes into play as well. So, Oh, totally, yeah. I wanted to ask you, Yara, a little bit about my recent prenatal or antenatal depression experience. Yeah. Since experiencing it, I have learned that it's a lot more common than I realised. I hadn't, have, hadn't even actually have really heard of it before mm. I experienced it. How much of this has come up in your line of work it's so incredibly common for people to experience you know depression or anxiety or OCD actually even in the antenatal and in the postnatal period absolutely while I hold those kinds of terms in mind I'm more often than not unless it's really helpful to the women that I work with it's more that I keep that in mind in terms of okay, this is what we're looking at. This is kind of how this person is presenting. And then those kinds of other issues that we talked about earlier is things that I would kind of target. They're really dissatisfied with their lives, whose dissatisfaction impacts how well they are able to regulate themselves in relationship with their children as well. The other thing that I really notice is that, you know, women are just not coming in and getting support early enough. So for me, I often see people years later when their babies are no longer babies and they've got toddlers who are two and three and that's when they're coming in and when you do kind of the history, you come to find out that this kind of stuff's been going on actually for quite a while. I was quite, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but I was seeing a psychologist during my pregnancy who helped me navigate through what I was experiencing and it wasn't right until very late in my pregnancy that I was kind of seeking a bit of a diagnosis because I didn't know what was going on. Like I've experienced a lot of anxiety in my life and I've learned what that looks like and feels like and how to somewhat cope with that. But these real depressive states, and I was even saying to Kate before, like panic attack experiences like was very new to me. And so I was asking the psychologist like, do you think it's pregnancy related? And she had sort of said the same thing to you, like as you just said, we don't need to diagnose it as that, but if it helps you, and I was like, it, it, it is going to help me because I want to know why I'm suddenly feeling like this when I'm pregnant mm. because the triggers of these experiences were so minor, but the reaction was so major. So 
you know, it was sort of helpful and supportive to me to know that that's what it was. And now, you know, almost three months after having the baby, I don't want to say that it's gone away, but I do feel a lot more mentally stable since giving birth. And and also for, you know, for you, there's also what's going on with your hormones and things as well, which definitely yeah, impact right. how we feel. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I think, you know, that thing on diagnosis or on using these kind of um, labels, I think that for many people, they can be really helpful. And I often think about it as, you know, when we have a physical illness, we want to know what it is. So we know what to do about it. And also, I think that for some people that I have worked with, knowing what it is, or what the name is that we could give it allows them to feel like they're not going crazy, if you know what I mean. Like it's like I'm not making this stuff up. It's actually a thing and this is what it's called. And so it can be super, super useful, absolutely, for people to hear that. Yeah, I know you work with women dealing with grief and probably more so with women losing a child, miscarriage. But I lost my father really unexpectedly last year and I've been doing a lot of reflecting back to the way that I approached parenting during this time, particularly, you know, the early stages, those first few months. And I've sort of realised that I often blank out or completely disengage during moments of frustration or sadness or anger. And I was telling Soph this and she said that she often does this as well, you know, during her own experiences. What's sort of happening when we do this? Because I caught myself doing it the other day and I just remember it was like I just couldn't even hear what was going on around me although I could it was so noisy and the kids are doing whatever and I was just in a whole other world Mm. yeah so really I mean what I would sort of view that as is what is happening for your nervous system so whatever that experience is that has led to you feeling that way the fact that you're having that response would indicate it's overwhelming your nervous system and so when that happens that example that you're giving about about disengaging we might talk about it as sort of dissociating or we might talk about that as a freeze kind of response almost or something like that and essentially you know the nervous system has been designed to trigger us into certain types of action that are more likely to lead to our survival essentially is the way that our nervous system works and so when you're responding like that your body and your you know your physiology is taking whatever has happened in that moment as a threat signal And now depending on the resources you have available in that moment and how threatening that particular thing is seen to your body, then you'll have a different reaction. So when we're talking about, for example, anger, when people are responding in anger, that's typically associated with the fight or flight response. And what you're talking about is the freeze response. And the freeze response is actually, it's also a survival technique because it's essentially if I play dead, I won't, you know, be harmed by this particular threat. Now, the thing is, in the modern world, the threats that we identify, that our bodies and brains identify, are not a saber-toothed tiger that existed a long time ago or a, a person physically coming to get you unless that actually is happening. It's often just that these things feel threatening to our sense of safety, and that could be emotional safety. It could be safety in connection with another person. Um, so those things are received as threats as well. It's basically a coping strategy, really, is what that is. And I talk a lot in the sense of nervous system regulation. And so if that was a problem for you or for somebody else in terms of, so this is the way that I respond and then because I respond like this, I don't actually resolve the issue or whatever else is going on. Like in relationships, that can happen as well. Like So for me, that's actually a response that I have when I'm having a disagreement with my husband after a while. So it gets to a certain point and then I just check out. <laughs> I'm out of here. See ya. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and that's may be useful, but there's also stuff that is really unuseful about that. And so then working with people around that, it's like, okay, well, what do we need to do to switch the nervous system back on, you know, so that it swings into the other way? And so that might be how do we modulate your breathing in that moment? Maybe there's physical activity that you need to do in that moment, which could literally be squeezing your fists, for example, you know, to get circulation in the body and things. It could be going outside and, you know, doing some movement or something. So it could be that kind of thing. Mm. And essentially that response is one that I hear from many mothers. It's either the anger or it's that. And that's just because we're feeling overwhelmed (laughs) essentially. With the anger as well because sometimes you can respond to something really simple. So say you're frustrated that 
you know, my daughter's not going to do up her shoes and I've asked her four times. I'm not actually really angry about that if I'm reacting and I'm yelling. Usually it's a list of 50 other things that are building up and I'm overwhelmed, I'm feeling anxious, haven't had enough sleep, whatever it is, Mm. and then you kind of yell at them and then you feel so guilty because you're like, I shouldn't have yelled at you, you've done nothing wrong, you're actually having trouble, you know, getting your shoes done up and I'm kind of throwing my own shit on you, which is not fair either. Yeah. And I love um, that you that you mentioned that thing about the build-up because that's something I talk so much with the women that I work with, which is that many women who come to me are into respectful parenting, conscious parenting, all of that sort of stuff, which is really wonderful and there's so many positives about that. But one of the things that I think is troublesome about that is this belief that in order to parent in that way, you have to be calm all the time. How? Essentially, like, yeah, exactly. It's I not mean, possible. I, could, I just wouldn't work for me. No, and it's just actually a really inauthentic way of trying to be. And the reason for that is because no one can do that all the time, right? Mm. Even not being parents, we're not calm all the time even when we're not parents, much less when we have no sleep, poor nutrition, not enough movement, plus all of the demands that are required of us, right, or made of us rather as mothers. So that idea of being a calm parent is just problematic. And what I say to people is this concept of having this backpack that gets filled up with stuff and the backpack thinking about it as our nervous system. So the more we put in there, if we don't have a way of actually allowing that to empty, so emptying that backpack, then you know, we wake up on one particular day and we might just start off just raging right from the beginning because the backpack is full. Mm. So the nervous system is at capacity with everything that it's been holding. And so when I'm talking about that, I'm saying if you've had a day where you were late, you burnt yourself making something in the morning, your kids were having fights, then they wouldn't get out the door. So you're shouting on the way out the door. Then it's like, you get to school, they're late and you feel, you know, embarrassed oh, or shame because run. of, you know oh, what God. I mean? Like, I, yeah, that's my life, right? <laughs> it's like, How old are your kids, Yara? They are three, turning four next month and six. Yeah. So, you know, you have all of that going on and that can happen day in, day out, like that kind of routine, right, depending on what's going on in your life. If you don't have a process or a way of being able to discharge that energy and that buildup of tension in your body, you go to sleep, and you wake up with all of that energy and tension in you again. So some of those ways is like having really good social connections so we have people that we can talk about and just vent and get it out, and that could also be a therapist. So if you don't have that, it could be someone that you have support with in that way, right? It's to do with like movement. It's to do with like attunement to our body, so actually being able to check-in. This is one of the things that I do with many of my clients. I'm like, I want you to start a practice of body check-in. So that's really three times a day, hand on your body somewhere, just saying, how do I feel? What do I need? Mm. And that's just about turning attention back to ourselves because so much of our attention is directed outwardly to other people's needs that we often come last. So, you know, things like this and then having other practices, whether that's like, you know, some kind of regular movement, whether that's exercise, whether it's yoga, whether it's literally dance party with your kids. I love having dance parties with the the kids. It's so fun. Yeah. And pillow fights are a big one for us around anger and stuff like that for everyone, (laughs) you know, and it's a great way of getting that energy out and breath. Breathwork is, you know, my basis that I always come back to and certainly something I teach with clients too. Breathwork, that's one thing that I implemented in the past year since losing Mm. my father that I do daily and that's one thing that I've found really beneficial. I've tried lots of different things but breathing after committing to that for a few months has like worked its wonders so I highly recommend that. Okay, so let's take a little break because our sponsor today has a couple of new products for us to share. Nice. Swiss is expanding their Ultivite range with two new vegan products, Swiss Ultivite Vegan Men's Multivitamin and Swiss Ultivite Vegan Women's Multivitamin. Hey, so remember when you were vegan last year? (laughs) (laughs) I needed these then. You definitely did. Swiss Ultivite Vegan Multivitamins help to support immune health, which is something we are talking about a lot at the moment, energy production and maintain healthy bones. 
These premium quality formulations contain key nutrients, including iron, vegan vitamin D, and also a high strength dose of vitamin B12 to help prevent dietary B12 deficiency in vegans. Swiss Ultivite vegan multivitamins are available from Chemist Warehouse, Coles, or from swiss.com.au, so they're super easy to find. And just remember to always read the label and follow the directions for use. All right, doll, it's time to get back to the episode. We asked our audience on Instagram like about some of their struggles and some questions that they might have for you during this chat today. And one of the most common thing that people answered was one of the biggest struggles as not having enough time for themselves. And I think that ties back into what we're talking about, you know, coping and regulating our nervous systems mm, and yeah. unpacking our backpack a little bit. I mean, I don't know if you have any other tips, but I think it's just that, like finding small snippets throughout the day because to go out for two hours and go out for lunch with your friends or to go to a class or a gym to exercise or something, yeah, it might be a bit unachievable in the stage that you're in with your kids. Often my kids are next to me when I breathe. I should yeah, throw yeah, that same. in. If yeah. I don't wake up early enough, I have yeah. my little one twirls my hair and my <laughs> six-year-old says, I'm doing it too, yeah. and usually they're like on top of me. Crawl all over you. And I yeah. just go, do you know what, at least I've still done it. Yeah. Like, and they know now that that's a habit. So it's not every day I get to do it yeah. uninterrupted because I like to do it first thing in the morning. And if they've made it into my bed by then, well, but it does feel good to feel like I've achieved it, even mm. if they've, because I could easily go, oh, just go make a coffee. Because actually, that's usually what I want to do when I wake up is just yeah. a coffee. Yeah. And not even just make a coffee, but it's like, for me, I'm like, there's a huge pile of laundry over there, or I could mm. get dinner started, or I oh. could like, There's all these things that happen. So I'm really glad that you brought that up around feeling that we don't have time. And we all have the same amount of time in a day, but we don't all have the same resources, right? Mm -hmm. So I really want to just acknowledge there that some of us have more privilege than others, right, in terms of like the support that we have and also what that kind of baseline level of mental health is that we have when we're, we're starting out, you know, and the system that we live in also favours certain people more than it does others. So there is absolutely all of that. But I still think within that there are small things that we can do where we decide to turn attention to ourselves. So the body check-in thing is such a small thing, but it is a practice of where we direct our attention. And in this mothering space in particular, but also as women, we are trained to turn our attention outward and to seek reassurance, validation, all of the rest of it from externally and that we do that by pleasing people essentially Mm -hmm. right and so we're already trained very well how to do that as women and then we enter into mothering and then it's like on steroids right so it's like a whole nother level of that yeah and so doing the very simple but radical practice of actually turning our attention toward ourselves for only a moment of time and saying How do I feel in this moment? So what are the emotions that I'm feeling right now? Like and really connecting with that and where in the body do I feel that? And how could I most nourish myself in this moment? Like what do I actually really need right now, right? Mm. Sometimes the answer to that might be I actually really need to go to the toilet, been holding on all morning and I really need to go. And I want to go by myself too. Yeah, exactly. And that's you (laughs) actually checking in with what you need for a moment in time that you might not otherwise have done. So for many women, it might not be until everyone is asleep at that last moment before we go to sleep that we check in with ourselves. And many of us don't even do that. We numb out on social media or on, you know, TV or whatever it is. We don't actually connect back to ourselves, right? And so this practice of checking in with our own bodies and asking what do we need right now? And it might be you need to go outside and have a warm drink without anyone on you so you put the tv on and you let the kids do that and you take your five minutes to have your tea Mm. without your phone and just be present with yourself so there are small ways that we can be empowered in our own lives right and these are those small small ways and i love that you were talking about that you still have your children with you because i know how hard it is to do breath work and all of the rest of it but i also think that that is really good practice of managing discomfort so What is most comfortable for us is probably just to be at peace, no one in our space, like put on a candle, blah, 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 all that crap. But that's not real life anymore for us, right? And so it's like adjusting our expectation of what things can look like as well. So whether that's 
what can your exercise look like now with being a mother? It might not be what it used to be before. You might have to adjust your expectation and surrender to that. So really lean into what it's going to look like in this phase of life. I think many of us say we don't have time to do this, this and the other, but we're saying we don't have time to make it look like what it looked like before. That's such a good point. You know, rather than saying what can it look like now with our children here if that's what it needs to be, right? Because some of us just may not have support to make that any other way. Even if it's just one or two people who we know who also have kids is like, lean in to those people as much as you can. The other main thing that people gave us feedback on was um, that they were giving so much of themselves and they find that a real struggle. But again, I think that ties in with what you were saying as women, but also as mothers, like we really aim to please. We give so much of ourselves just to Mm. do the best that we can and be the best mum and please everyone around us. But adjusting that as well and reaching out Majorly. to friends and yep. you know all of and those okay things that just say talked no. about yeah it's okay for people to be upset about that because where you say yes you have to say no somewhere else essentially right and what ends up happening is that we say yes externally and we end up saying no internally so for ourselves so if we say yes 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 to all of these things then what are we missing out on I remember saying this before about like if you want to please everyone you then you're going to be displeasing yourself right you have to be able to say no and to accept that somebody else's disappointment with that is just their work to do that's Creating their thing boundaries. to do yeah yeah oh absolutely majorly yeah so so important in all the small ways that we can try and reclaim our energy and for many people you know what's so hard about this saying no thing in mothering is that many of us women just haven't been good at saying no at all before either And so we're learning how to do this for the first time often in this space and with all of the intensity of everything that's going on. So it makes sense that it's hard. Like all of these things that I'm saying, if you've never done these things before, they're going to be hard, but it's just about like how can we commit to these things even in a small way? Yeah. So I know a lot of the work that you do is, as you say, going from surviving to thriving as mothers. And I think a lot of what you just talked about are a lot of the ways that we can thrive as mothers. But what does thriving as a mother look like to you and how do you express that to other mothers? So, yeah, it's interesting because I I really want people to know that thriving does not mean that everything feels in control and okay all the time. What thriving means to me goes back to what is happening in the nervous system. So when we talk about someone who is regulated, it doesn't mean that they are calm all the time. It means that they have capacity for expression. It means that their nervous system does become overwhelmed from time to time. It means their nervous system returns to baseline or to a place of balance quickly. And so what surviving, what being in survival state looks like is that your nervous system gets kind of stuck in a particular space. So that might be in fight or flight. So, you know, for people who experience anxiety, for example, their nervous system is often in that space, which is this fight or flight kind of energy. People who are experiencing postpartum depression are stuck in the other side, which is that freeze space. So they're in that like the flat affect, the lack of motivation, you know, the tiredness, the withdrawal, they're in that space, right? They're in that, the opposite. What we want to do is get people so that they're generally speaking in between both of those spaces. And we might have blips where we go into up or down. So in the middle of the day and everything's feeling really intense, I might blip up into my fight or flight and get angry or whatever, but then I can come back down and I can have strategies around how to manage that. I also have insight about what I need generally day to day to be functioning well and to be functioning healthy. Mm-hmm. And so thriving to me is related to what is happening in the nervous system. So it means that our lives, in terms of how our children behave, those things are all going to be the same. It's just about how I am experiencing them internally and how I am able to navigate through them. So thriving does not mean we don't have challenge. It means we can meet the challenge. So that's kind of what that's about. And that's often what I talk to, um, to the clients that I see. And so a lot of the work that I do is around teaching them around about the nervous system, teaching them about how to identify when they're in these different states yep. and how to take stock of what's happening in life for them that is influencing why they're in those states and then what to do about that. Do you work with couples together because I think like a lot of women do a lot of this work themselves or 
you know, seek support or research or try and understand themselves but then find this disconnection with their partner or find themselves mm. maybe on slightly different pages because they're reading something and their partner's got no idea what they're talking about. Do you work with couples a lot to understand, you know, parenting on both sides but motherhood? Yeah. I don't. And when I say I don't, what I used to do but I'm not doing it at the moment is I used to run a program called Bringing Baby Home which was designed by the Gottmans who, you know, real leaders in the space of relationship therapy. And so that's actually how I started working in the perinatal space is I actually started with that and the reason for that is because that's what I did <laughs> because of my own relationship and then I went and did the training and learned how to be an educator in that. So I started in that and so from that work and from my knowledge of attachment theory and I mean that both in terms of child attachment but also adult attachment, I have a good idea about what's happening in relationships or when people talk to me about it but I don't actually work with the couple and that is absolutely the number one question that I get from most people. So I do run a group called The Rebirth, which is a nine-week group program, and everyone in that by the end is like, I need to find a relationship therapist <laughs> by the end of that. And also in my one-on-one -on -one work, I have a lot of people request that. One of the, the struggles for me is actually finding people. So if you're listening and you are a relationship <laughs> therapist, yeah. hit Get me up because I yeah. need to add Let some more know. names to my, to my list because everyone that I have sent people to is full at the moment. For anyone who's out there and who may be looking for a therapist, if you are finding that people are full, I would ask if you can put yourself down on a cancellation list which just basically means that you might get a session here or there, but it might be better than not having anything at all. Yeah. And then as well as that is also if there are group programs out there, so I do run the Rebirth, but there are other ones, community level kind of ones that you can get into for people that um, need lower cost options. You know, if there's women health centres and things like that, many of them do run groups for women. I just want to put out there that Group work is such a brilliant option for many people to get started if they're waiting, but even many people, that will be enough for them. They don't necessarily need to go and see a therapist on their own. Lots of women benefit just from having their experiences normalised so that they know that they're not going mad or, you know, any anything like that. They know that they're in this struggle with everyone else. They can form relationships with the women that they journey with in the group. So, yeah, I would really encourage people if you're finding it hard to get into an individual therapist is look for other options as well and trust that it's safe for you to go into that vulnerable space in the group work because that can be one of the things that stops people going there is that they're yeah. so worried about talking honestly in a group that anyone who's in those groups is going to be in a very similar position. Yeah, and you're all there then mm. to support each other and you can kind of yeah. listen and relate to each other, which there's nothing better than feeling heard by like-minded mm. people, I think. Yep, absolutely. Yara, we love to leave our listeners with a little tip or a great piece of advice or wisdom. What oh, would be goodness. yours? <laughs> oh, a good tip. Hmm. I mean, you've left us with hate. You've given, you've given us, us hate. I'm, so, trying, I'm trying to think of like a, a little that's... pearl to leave you with. I'm yeah. like, oh, there's so many. <laughs> this is something I've already said today, but something that I'd really encourage people to do is to get into a practice like the body check-in. It, it is mm. so small, it takes very little amount of time and the benefits can be so profound, such a small thing. And so I say to my clients, because obviously many of them are not used to doing this, so any behaviour that I am starting to implement, I always set a reminder in my calendar and put an mm. alarm on it because it just never happens otherwise. So this is what I tell people to do and I say to them three times a day, so it might be when you wake up in the morning, in the middle of the day and at night before you go to bed, check in with your body and ask yourself, how am I feeling in this moment right now? And take some big breaths as you're doing that. So that's slow breaths in and slow breaths out through your nose. How am I feeling? So emotionally and physically, if I'm feeling anything particular in my body, where am I feeling that? And just stay focused on that area for a moment. And then ask yourself, what would feel most nourishing for me right now? and then go and enact that. That's my thing that I would give to listeners is that small practice of you're turning your attention toward yourself on a regular basis allows you to better be able to do that on the big things. So saying no, for example, or other boundaries that you can start to put in place become easier when you have small moments of practice of putting yourself first. 
So that's my thing. That's great. I think that's a great thing. And I think that answers a lot of what our listeners and our audience is struggling with as well. So mm. including myself and I'm yeah. sure including and you me. too, yeah. Kay. Yeah. <laughs> and me. I've got to remind myself. I keep chatting too. to you for hours. Yeah. But a list yeah. of 100 personal questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, thank yeah. you so much, Yara. So thank you for welcome. sharing your wisdom and your advice and your education and your experience. Um, we feel very privileged to have you share that all with us today. So thank you so much and good luck with your podcast. No worries. Yes, I know. Just just chugging away, just slowly recording. It's yeah. as, as I was saying earlier, it's just a passion project. So I'm just, yeah, loving having the conversations. Yeah, mm. well, we'll share a link to it in our show notes so everyone can find out more and tune in but yeah thank you so much we'll let you go about your day no worries thanks ladies that's it for today make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes hit subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on instagram at talking in common or you can check out our facebook page which is also talking in common have a lovely day and as always thanks for listening